When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Hope you're having a great Friday. Hope you have a good weekend planned. Oilers and Flames tomorrow night at Rexall Place. It'll be on this station, 6.30, Chad. 6.30 for the face-off show. 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Well, this is going to be a good hour because John Short has decided to drop by. John, it is great to see you. Thanks for making time for us. Pleasure to be here. You and I have done this just often enough going back to a lot of amateur hockey in, in past times. You uh, you were kind enough when I was working in Lloyd Minster, and I, I may be forgetting some things, but you did a, a few games at the Allen Cup with me in Stoney in 07. I can't remember if you did every game, but you definitely did a few. Yes. And we did a few AJHL games uh, together. I don't know, well, 5 06. That's about, it's all a blur. That's about right. But, but uh, that was a lot of fun when I was far less seasoned as I am now. And it's hard to believe, maybe, but I was less seasoned at the time. Now, we got, we're going to talk about a lot this hour because we've got a lot to get to. But you're, you're doing something really cool. Uh, amateur, sorry, Alberta Sport Connection. What, what, what can you tell us about this? Alberta Sport Connection is my current professional passion, if you like. I'm the, the chair of a, of a board of, of directors. Um, Alberta Sport Connection is actually the voice of and the face of, of, of amateur sport in the province. We fund the Alberta Summer Games, the Alberta Winter Games. We make sure that the 55-plus seniors get lots to do. Um, I could go on and on and on about it. All I can tell you is that it's, it's an incredible amount of fun, and it's a lot of work because we're adjusting still to a new government, and we're adjusting to some serious economic situations. And the, the one thing that I have to say, this is not a political observation at all, the one thing I have to say is that the people who run the government in this province try really hard not to withdraw services from kids. We say our budget's been cut. It's not the budget of Alberta Sport Connection that gets cut. It's the services to the young people and the recreational athletes and, and the developing athletes in this province that get cut. And it happens, but boy, the governments have tried really hard not to make that happen. Now, were you just in Greenland? I spent 12 days in a place called Nuke, Greenland, and I promise it is not on any of the most wanted tourism locations in the world. 16,000 people, uh, cold, windy. Uh, if you like pictures that are gray and black and white, that's Greenland. Why they didn't call it Rockland, I haven't got any idea. We were there for 12 days, saw one tree, and it wasn't much taller than you are. But, but the experience, the Arctic Winter Games are games for athletes from what they call the so circumpolar nations. Um, Alaska sends a team, 
Nunavut sends a team. Nunavik sends a team, the two uh, aboriginal uh, units in Canada. Uh, we send a team from Alberta North. All of our athletes have to come from north of the 55th parallel, which is just a little bit south of Slave Lake, just a little bit south of Grand Prairie. Okay. And so we get a whole bunch of kids from tiny little places that many in Alberta have never heard from or heard about. And it's just so much fun to watch these kids find out about real competition and travel a little bit, the maturity of them, the things that they learn. It's incredible. So are, what are they all, under 17? What's the age? Uh, no, the age would be a little older than that. Okay. We've got some going as young as 15, but they might be 20 or 21 years okay. old, depending on specialties. But they have what we call aboriginal games. There are games that you don't want to know about. They are so difficult that, I mean, they... they they do all the other things. They play a little basketball. Mm -hmm. They play some volleyball. They play some tennis. They play some badminton. But they also get involved in sports that are absolutely essential in teaching young people about the harshness of life in the North. I once asked somebody why they, you know, why are these sports so difficult? Because our young people have to learn. They learn teamwork. They learn cooperation. And basically, they learn survival in the North. Fascinating. Wow, that sounds like a great experience. So is it Nuke Green Nook? N N U U K. And it's Nuke? Nuke Greenland. Nuke Greenland. Wow, 17,000 people, and I was very surprised when we landed there that it, it until you realize that there's nothing there but rocks and, and snow uh, and, and a lot of wind and some cold weather, um, it looks like Nelson, B.C., it's got really nice scenery, except it's all black and white. Was there a lot of snow accumulated from over no, the winter? It wasn't, got, wasn't bad? No, we got a couple of days of snow, but okay. it's not really heavy snow country. It's just the weather was not very pleasant. Uh, but, but, the, but the best of it, as I say, is that I thought we would be surrounded by igloos. I thought we would be surrounded by wild animals, you know, polar bears, uh, reindeer, you name it. No, it didn't happen. Uh, because the longest road in Nuka, Greenland, is six and a half kilometers long. You have to get out of there, you have to go by boat, or you have to fly in the, uh, summer or winter. Okay. So you get there, you're there till you fly out. <laughs> <laughs> six and a half kilometers, that's a nice stroll. Well, for, <laughs> for young people, it is. <laughs> George Short joining us in studio on uh, on Inside Sports. Great Alberta Sport Connection. You got a website people can check it out, or just Google uh, yeah, that. I guess it, it it is simply we're there as Alberta Sports Sports. That's it, Alberta Sport Connection. Awesome. Okay, hit, hit it and they'll find it. Right on, uh, John. I mean, Rexall Place is. Uh, it, it, I, I got to catch myself. It's not closing per se. It's the last Oilers game on uh, Wednesday. Obviously, the World Curling and the Rodeo are still going to be there next year. Then then we'll see. Um, but, I mean, we just had Perry Barrett on the show. Good friend of mine from a long time ago. And I find it interesting. The the Battle of Alberta, some of the biggest goals, and we know Edmonton won the majority of the yeah. series, but some of the biggest goals in that matchup were scored by the away team. Barrison got yeah, credit, yeah, even though Smith yeah. put it his own. Flurry sliding down the ice in 91. I'll, I'll, ne I'll never forget that picture. And then Messier on the road in 91, which was, I mean, those were arguably the three biggest goals between those two teams. They were all scored by, by, by the road team. What, what's your memory of the Steve Smith own goal? Well, there are two stories. Uh, one was obviously the fact that Grant wasn't paying, Grant Fuhrer wasn't paying 100% attention. Uh, I thought Smith had time to look and check as to whether uh, the goaltender was 
focused as he should have been, uh, but he didn't do it, and it was a was a bad goal. Now st we talked about that today. Steve Smith, immediately after it happened, was terrific. He took the blame. It was my fault. The whole thing. By the time the teams went back to training camp the next year, Steve Smith had changed his tune. Oh, really? And a couple of then prominent Oilers, no names, went into the room with him one day and said, Steve, you have to shut up. We know who cost us the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so he changed his tune to the effect of more... Well, Grant, you, Grant should have been paying attention, paying attention, and there was a whole bunch of pressure, and there were a whole bunch of little stories that... that it, 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 it's... it's uh, Historical readjustment, if you like. Sure. So, so a couple of vets said, you know what, we need this let's, to stop. Let's, not, let's get rid of it. Not just but stop we, saying that, just stop entirely. Yeah, get yeah. rid of it. We know who cost us. And they didn't think Fuhr did it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, Fuhr was so incredibly popular with his teammates that he could have done far worse things than cost them a vital goal. Well, before they'd have gotten off, off his particular bus. He'd already won them a couple of Stanley Cups as a goalie, though I know Moog was there, also, yeah. played quite a bit in 84 as, as well, but Smith was uh, was a rookie at the time, so he didn't have any... A young guy and had no credibility, Yeah. and, and another one of the Oilers used to get mad at him because he said he spent far, far too much time in front of the mirror. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, were you doing the, the post-game show after that game? Yes, yeah. I, I uh, That must have been... I went into, I went into radio in 82, Right. So from '82 forward, I was there for a long time. <laughs> do you? Re I mean, I know that was a long time ago, but do you remember that? I mean, Rob and I joke, and people say to me that when when Rob and I do the post game show after a series of regular season losses, it's almost like we're doing therapy. We're just we're just listening to people. I can't imagine what it was like for you, <laughs> an own goal in Game Seven against the most hated rival. It was it was shock. It wasn't. You see, now you get. And and I promise I wouldn't go back to the show that I used to do and the show that you and 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 Rob do so well. Uh, I wouldn't go back to it for money, marbles, or chalk. <clears throat> you couldn't you couldn't get me back. I, I loved it, but there is a day when you say I I don't want to do it anymore. And I certainly wouldn't like to do it for ten consecutive years of failure. I had years of failure. Right. And whether you like it or not, no matter how committed to the full story that you want to be, you wind up excusing because you know how hard they're trying, you know how much they want it, you get to know them, and you get incredibly tolerant. And then you get to a space where you've had it for enough years, and it's tougher and tougher and tougher to be tolerant. And that's what I got to. Uh, I, I couldn't have lived through this 10 years without losing even more hair than I did. Well, I, I, I would never point this out if Rob Brown were in the room, but he started doing the post-game show in 2007. So the 10 years out of the playoffs coincides with uh, Rob Brown's involvement. I've only been around for the last three. Well, right? see, and I've, been, I've been around, Rob, <laughs> not a lot, but I, I find him to be one of the really solid, knowledgeable hockey commentators in the game, and he's played it. I mean, he, he struggled in the minors and uh, had had the records that would suggest he should have been a longtime NHL player, but the numbers didn't quite total on the right team at the right time for him. So he's probably dealt with many of his own frustrations before he got to this level. Did you? Did you I, I mean, I find 
that the X player, you always get better stuff out of the X players, right? The, the, a little bit unless, of the filter is gone. Unless they get too close to it. Um, there are some X players who won't level with you. That's not a problem with Rob. You know and I know we could sit down without any difficulty and find a whole bunch of broadcasters who apologize all the time. There's no such thing as a, as a professional who makes a lazy play. Oh, no, no, the guy was this and the guy was that. Um, it, it's not as bad as it used to be, but, it, but there were years when you would know if you got a veteran player, former player, the first thing would happen is truth would walk out the window because he was working. He was working for the hockey team. He was not working for the the listener. He was not working for the sponsor. He was working for the hockey team. It is seven seventeen. John Short is here. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad. More memories of Rexall Place, Oilers, and otherwise. I want to talk boxing. I hope John does as well. We're back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, keeping an eye on that Blue Jays game in Montreal as well. Seventh inning just ended. They are tied 2-2 with the Boston Red Sox. The uh, regular season is going to start on Sunday. Reed Wilkins, special guest in studio, longtime Edmonton sports announcer, columnist, you're a bit of a rink rat, too. Or I, ball I, diamond rat, football uh, stadium. I, I'm, I, I am probably still, uh, I, and, and my wife Marta would be the first to say, I'm a sports junkie. There and you it's go. never going away. It's a, it's a habit that got, I, I was immersed in it as a kid. I still do it. I still care about it. Uh, I'm not as close to it as I was. And in many ways, that makes it more enjoyable for me. I don't know anymore whether the left-wingers having behavioral difficulties. Sure. I, I don't know I don't know if the center fielder wants to be traded. All I know is it's now fun to watch the game. <laughs> Got a text here from Daryl who says, Hey John, great to hear you on the radio. Brings me back to my childhood when you did sports talk after Oilers games. I miss hearing plus minus. Were you a champion of the plus minus stat? I was pretty young. I don't remember that. I, I, I remember in um, per game I would do it. Okay, you'd per run game it through. I would do it. You'd get the sheet and yeah. you just go down plus minus. Uh, I my favorite line about plus minuses is, is Charlie Huddy won an award as the top plus minus player of the year. He's playing with coffee. Yeah, and I said on the radio one night, I said, Charlie, what does plus minus mean to you? He says, I haven't got a damn idea. And that's a direct <laughs> quote. He didn't know what it meant because it's so variable. Yeah, you're on the ice. You you're a defenseman. Somebody falls down. You're way over where you're supposed to be. Somebody falls down, scores against you. You're you're a minus. You you play with Paul Coffey. You give him the puck behind his own net. You sit there watch him go end to end. He gives the puck to Gretzky. Gets it back from Gretzky. You do nothing except watch these two guys put on an act, and you get a plus. Charlie loved it, but he didn't understand it. And you get an assist on the play you just described, too. For, Perfect. And you didn't have the puck for yep. 20 seconds before yeah. the goal, probably. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to ask you something here. Um, from all the – we can go outside of hockey for this, but was there a guy that you always thought, I'd like to interview this guy because he's well-spoken, he'll be honest. I know for me – 
on, on this team over the last couple of years, it's, it's become Matt Hendricks. He will. Oh, he's he will, so classy. I've never he, met him, but he's so classy. He'll tell you he when they stink. He'll tell you when they. Now he won't throw guys under the bus. No, he, he's no. he's still is a respectful teammate, but he's also respectful that he understands. I'm talking to the people who invested three hours to watch this game or three hundred dollars to come in the rink, and I still got to be. Yep. accountable or, or you can talk to him about just a general hockey topic and he'll be thoughtful about it so so for me that that's Hendricks right now did you have a guy that was sort of a go-to for stuff like that yeah and I'll tell you how far far back far far back I go now if we're talking if we're talking radio um AJ gas the linebacker with the Eskimos was that guy for me didn't matter what happened. Didn't matter how intense it was. You could talk to A.J. Gass. I could do the same thing with Neil Lumsden, uh, former Eskimo. I could do it with many of, of the of the Oilers. Uh, Kevin Lowe was remarkable. Anytime I wanted to talk to somebody seriously about major issues, Kevin Lowe, Todd Marchant was another one. Uh, there were some, of course, as there are on every team, who who think that they should only be asked the gimme questions right and there there are some who don't want anything to do with the media not because they're miserable they're just shy they just yeah. don't want to spend the time but they'll give it to you if you walk in put the microphone in their face um it's very hard for them not to show their discomfort but it's not dislike of the subject it's not dislike of the public it's not dislike of the game it's just that's not me i'm not a talker yeah, that's an important thing to understand when you meet these people, and and they they are people. Not everybody likes speaking in in public, even even if it's a one on one interview. In some players' minds, that's still in public because they know it is going to get played or printed and consumed by that amount of people. So you do have to sort of approach each interview subject individually. You can't treat everybody the same. And and they've all been misunderstood at some point or another. Right, good point. When I was the Oilers public relations director, I remember one of the players said he wanted, he had to be been invited, Dave Hunter was invited to go make a speech, rookie, first year, I was the PR director last year in the WHA, first year in the NHL, and Hunter was, was here, first round draft choice that the Canadians tried to sign and he came to Edmonton instead. And he'd only been here a very short time and it was John, I, I've got to go make a speech. I promised to go make a speech. Okay, oh, what can we do about that? He said, well, I know all they want to do is talk about me as a player. That's all I know about. He said, but i got to have a couple of jokes. And I said, you're not going to go up and use any jokes at all because somebody, sure as heck, will misunderstand it. You're going up there to be Dave Hunter, hockey player. You're not looking for a job in stand-up comedy. <laughs> And, and and he understood it. But that was one of the most difficult things. You either had somebody who would try too hard to be entertaining or somebody who would dry up because he thought everything he said was either so important it was going to get him in trouble or so unimportant that there was no point talking about it. John Short is in studio. We're coming up to the 7.30 news. You can stick around for a bit, eh, John? I'll be here. Absolutely. So uh, we'll do a little more Rexall Place memories. We'll get to some of the uh, boxing stuff I still remember this from, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to happen, John. Tyson and Ruddick in Edmonton. As oh, I think there, 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 are, there are stories there, I promise. Oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> we'll get to it right away when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. Hey, this is... 
this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. So Everly and the Oilers will play Calgary tomorrow. 6.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 8 right here on 6.30 Chet. Connor McDavid, the rookie of the month for March. 16 points in 15 games. He is third in the entire NHL in points per game. NHL tonight, Red Wings leading the Wild 2-1 early third. Seven minutes left in the second period. Boston up 3-2 on St. Louis. Chicago without Duncan Keith tied 2-2 with the Jets in the second period. Keith a six-game suspension for the stick to the face of Charlie Coyle a couple of nights ago. Caps and Avs scoreless late in the first. The Canucks and the Ducks will start later on. The Edmonton Eskimos will not owe compensation to the Ottawa Red Blacks for the hiring of Jason Moss. And Tiger Woods will not play in the Masters as he continues to uh, deal with a back ailment. I still are, John Short is with us, Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. I always argue Tiger Woods, most dominant athlete of the last 25 years. I, re- I really believe it. And I know some people are like, oh, golf's not a sport. First of all, golf's a sport. I tell you this, if it's not a sport, then something else has embarrassed me to the point that I won't pick up a club. <laughs> So if you're going to be that embarrassed, you might as well call it a sport and not real life. That's what it feels like. Uh, A few texts here to 630-630. This texter says, it's great to hear John Short. I listened to him during the 80s when my two kids were born. He's a great radio sportsman. I I wish this person would have signed his or her her name. Oh, there it is. It's uh, on another one. It is Wade who says, I was thrilled, John, when you took my call on August 9th, 1988, the day Wayne Gretzky was traded. I was a 13-year-old kid. I was so thrilled to talk to you. And he probably needed to talk to somebody. Well, I know I was in in Victoria at the time. Um, And that's one of the funny stories. Uh, I was on holidays, and and I had talked to the radio station. Um, and and uh, said I was not going to be around, uh, and we'd been told that you know the Gretzky deal, if it was going to happen, was not going to happen for several days. Well, I went into Victoria, and a friend of mine named Al Patterson was running the Victoria Cougars, and he called me and said, John, the Gretzky deal is going down because training camp's going to start. It's done. Training camp, he's going. I said, what do you mean it's going? He said, they have hired security for training camp in Victoria for the L.A. Kings, and that has never happened before. (laughs) So, fortunately, I then called the radio station and said, if it happens, this is where I'll be, and I wound up broadcasting from a Victoria station that night. Back to Edmonton. That's great. Uh, And Kellyanne says, I think you'll like this one, John. Kellyanne says, John Short gave me tickets to a boxing match back in 1984. He marveled that a girl knew the correct answer to a trivia question. I think it was a pay-per-view, but the life of me, for the life of me, I could not remember which fight it was. That's from Kellyette. How about that? Isn't that outstanding? But 1984, I wouldn't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I can't blame you. But we do want to talk a little bit about uh, boxing here before we get back to some of the uh, the uh, the hockey stuff. I, I brought up the, the Wikipedia page to remind myself of the date it was supposed to happen. November 18th, 1989, was supposed to be the champion of the world, the guy who unified the belts. You either loved him or you hated him. Mike Tyson. I feared him. One of the biggest stars (laughs) of that 
late 80s era yes. against our Canadian hopeful Razor Ruddock at Northlands Coliseum. Supposed and, to be. And so many people have said since then, and some said going in, that Ruddock had a really good chance to beat Tyson because Tyson already was starting to abuse his ability. He didn't believe that there was such a thing as a curfew. They didn't believe there was anything like a diet. If it was, you had to take off the weight, you did it all in about four days. Uh, and and he, he believed, like so many of us did in that game, when we were close to that game when we were young, he, he believed he was, was bulletproof. And Ruddock had all the skills in the world. He was bigger, stronger, faster, didn't punch as hard, mm -hmm. but he had so many other skills, and that's the reason the fight fell through. No matter what Tyson said, no matter what Don King said, the fight fell through because Don King took one look at this and said, hey, my guy might lose, and we're not going to make as much money in Canada as we will make if we hold this fight off and go to to." Tokyo and fight Buster Douglas and lose and lose it there <laughs> and lose anyway, uh, which was a massive upset because Douglas was pretty much a nobody, right? Well, well not a but well, not a nobody, but within the well, heavyweight yeah, but, division. But see, one of the great things because you know I'd been around the fight game a lot. Yeah, uh, I had Angelo Dundee on the show before this, and um, no, I'm sorry after the cancellation, and he was going to go fight D uh, Buster, and and he said Douglas, if he gets in shape, can beat him. And I thought, that's not possible. <laughs> Douglas can beat him. That's not, not possible. And he, he not only beat him, he beat him soundly. Um, and, and the other one, a great trainer named Eddie Futch one day. Yeah. And everybody was talking about how, you know, Tyson, Tyson, Tyson. And I had Mr. Futch on the show. And I said, Eddie, um, what about Ali and Tyson? And he said, what do you think? And I, I said, I think Tyson's got a chance. And this very likable, very seen, seasoned man from Detroit, whom I knew fairly well, he laughed at me. Really? <laughs> he <laughs> laughed at me. And because already those on the inside knew what Mike's trouble was. Knew that it was falling apart it already. Was, it was falling apart. And he was a bully. And, I mean, Holyfield proved that when he, when he bit Holyfield. Again, those who were close to the fight those who were close to the fight game, they say that he got out of there rather than get the tar beat up. Right, him. yeah, exactly, yeah. So what was the story? Was it a lung infection or something, the Tyson story? That's what for they, they, they lugged, well, you depend who you heard. Because they were here and training and getting ready here, already. They were here and training, and uh, I know I, I used to be a regular at the Panther gym that Daryl Duke ran for years, and they're, you know, around gyms and the fight game, there are always some some people with connections. And there was one guy who made it very clear that his function, he was being paid by the King Camp, his function was to make sure that there were ladies around at, 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 at the opportune times. Right. And we can only guess that maybe Mike was involved in stuff like that, but he wasn't in shape. He was clearly headed to a potential loss in the fight. And, and King did what intelligent people do in the fight game. He lied and left town. <laughs> <laughs> what was Don King like to interview? He was fine, um, and, but he and he had a funny sense of humor. You know, he just did this Ed, Edmonton routine. Right. Well, that was I thought Tyson said that it was yeah. King that no, said that. No, it was King that okay. said it. And 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 I remember when I first and I had interviewed Don from Vegas on my radio show, and this was the first time I'd ever met him. And I'd ask him the the, the difficult questions. Is it true that you went to jail for murder in in Cleveland? Yes. This and this. I mean, he. That was it. And he kept saying, 
Only in America could somebody have a history like mine and succeeded this and this and this. Well, when I shook his hand, and of course we had talked on the radio about his record and his, he sued his own fighters on a regular basis. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. And I literally counted my fingers as he watched after we shook hands. I counted my fingers and I said, they're all there. And he laughed for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now, who who was it that brought the fight to Edmonton? How did little old Edmonton almost have a Mike Tyson title well, fight here? Well, the guy behind it was a guy named Gary Stevenson. Mm -hmm. And Gary, how where he got the money, who he, who he got the money from, I haven't got a clue. But there were any number of people who are willing to say that they came up with the money. I believe Ed Bean gave them some, but I, I, I don't know. Thinking about that, that fight... And the real story of that fight, uh, I know that, that you had Proudfoot on the show, mm -hmm. and, and he had some insights into that whole picture. But I don't believe that one person is ever going to be able to sit down and go chapter and verse and tell you the whole story. Right. That was, I mean, I, I remember that. I mean, I was, uh, how, how old was I in 89? I guess it was in high school. And Tyson was, was such a captivating figure. And, you know, he'd knock somebody out in 91 seconds, and he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Well, and, and after, then, you know, after he, he knocked this guy out in 91 seconds, he put this this thing on his face, that this uh, this Maori mark that is now a tattoo on his face. Right, yeah. And, and, uh, and the guy he knocked out, I should have his name because I was reading about it the other day. Well, he knocked out Spinks pretty quickly. He knocked out Spinks, too, but the, I'm thinking about another guy with a lesser name than that. We'll, we'll look it up during and, the break. And, because, and, yeah. and, and he, he won in... Just walked in, hit him twice, and then could have could have counted for a week. Yeah. And and, and, and uh, but I mean that was Tyson. I've I've never met a hard punching fighter at any weight who didn't really want to hurt you. I mean it's it's a sport at a certain level, but but for Foreman and Tyson. And the big punchers of the heavyweight class, no, it, it, it was a fight. It was not a boxing match. Right. And, and, and they wanted to hurt you. Uh, uh, um, Murray Gregg did a book on George Chevallo, and, of course, I've known George for so long. I, I read the book, and I've known Murray, enjoyed spending a lot of time with him. And I was amazed, as well as I knew George, to hear and to read how much pleasure he got from hurting people. And because one-on-one -on -one in a room like this, he'd charm you. Right. <laughs> and, and Tyson, in the time I spent with him, could not do that. Okay. Charming, no. <laughs> I got a, a couple, just led me to think of a couple uh, questions here. To, to segue back into hockey. Yes. Who's the best fighter the Oilers ever had? Best fighter the Oilers ever had? Yeah. Um, I think Semenko wins from here to your house. But Don Jackson beat him. Later to be a teammate, Jackson did a number on him in the minors, mm -hmm. and and Sammy admitted it. Uh, there were there are some who say that that Sammy was overrated. Uh, I never heard of anybody who fought him who said he was. Okay, overrated. well that's that was that's a good question. Was was Semenko the best in the league at that time, or is that an Edmonton-centric comment because I, we were I winning think, all these? I think he was the best, and I think again we're cha the change between a heavyweight and and a hockey heavyweight. I don't think Semenko was mean at all. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've always liked Dave Semenko. He's a gentle sense of humor, good guy to deal with. I think he knew what his job was, and he didn't like it. If he had liked it, 
I think they could have put a heavyweight championship belt around his waist at some time oh, in his life because he had he had some talent for it. Right. He he was good. Um, Rick Vive, Toronto Maple Leaf player of some time. This is back going when I'm working with the Oilers. Yeah, well, he was. A, he scored 50 a couple times. Yeah, didn't he? but he was in the in the old WHA yeah. with Birmingham, and he was supposed to be a tough guy, and Semenko we knew about already, and I saw because of where I was standing, moving around in my role as PR director for the Oilers, uh, I was very close, and I saw Sam get invited out. And the question that Sam Semenko used to ask everybody was, do you want to go for a boat ride? <laughs> and, and Vive was hit four times before he hit the floor. The end of the night, you're still cleaning up the details, and you know how that works. The goaltender was Pat Riggin, yeah. and Pat was helping Vive toward the team bus. And I heard Vive say, but I don't know what happened. And Riggin looked at somebody who was close to him and said, I hope he never finds out. Oh, my. <laughs> that was WHA still. The WHA. Oh, that's incredible. Um, this popped into my head while you were talking about the, the motivation of the, the, the fighters. You know, yeah. once you get into it, you have to want to injure the other man. Yeah. Um, the great athletes you've talked to, any, any mm. sport, which was their greater motivation and emotion the hatred of losing or the joy of winning um, now that's interesting because um, I think that the best champions absolutely hate losing I think they hate losing and I'm going to Pete Rose for whom I've got very little respect but nobody hated to lose more than Pete Rose uh, I know people who understand the game of tennis much better than I do, and they insist that if Roger Federer hated to lose rather than loved winning, he would have been even a greater force oh, in world tennis. I, I part of the reason I asked that is because I had uh, I had Shirelli on the show. Oh yes, when they named the first sixteen guys to the North American World Cup team. And don't yeah. get me started yeah. on what I think of the World Cup and making up these teams. Le but Le let's not bother because you and I agree. <laughs> there's no point going down that road. <laughs> but but you know I said I asked him a few questions. I said oh you know was it awkward not picking Nuge all that stuff? And I said you know let, they, they, the Oilers had just beaten Buffalo in overtime. And I said Peter I'm going to throw you a softball. Just what was it like being at that game? The Eichel McDavid. And as you know, John, sometimes a question you might think maybe isn't going to go anywhere gets a great answer. And he, he gave a great answer about the motivation. And he said, you know, I talked to Eichel after that game, and he was just so irritated that they lost to McDavid and the Oilers. And he missed the shot. And, 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 and he said that's Mitch Shirelli said, you often find that the guys who rise to the top, they, they, they are playing more because they hate losing yes. you know, than, than they are to win. Yes, I believe that. Loving to win, it's not that I've had a great success <laughs> winning at anything, but winning is great fun. But fearing to lose, and that's what it is. It's fearing to lose. What if I lose, and what if that says something terrible about me? That's the question that I've actually been in conversation with athletes about. Uh, baseball. How do you lose? How did I lose that? Steve Rogers, who threw the Rick Monday home run ball that cost the Expos 
the most important individual game in their history, later came here and played for the Trappers. And he couldn't get rid of the fact that he threw that pitch. Right, yeah. Because he lost. They didn't lose. He lost because he threw the ball. And, and that's what I think losing meant to so many of them. It's 749. A few more minutes with John Short when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Jet. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. So, of course, it wouldn't be a sports talk show if you didn't get some people disagreeing. We got some nominations for Dave Brown and George Larac as the best Oilers fighter of all time, John. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't fight either one of them with an axe and a head start. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not going to find out firsthand, everybody. So. Uh, I, I, think, I, I think that the, there was a lot to, to be said about that for Larac. But there will be some people point out that in a gym in Edmonton one day, he didn't do very well. Fair enough. <laughs> the the fight we we're the Tyson fight we were trying to recollect. We're pretty sure from a quick yeah. check here, July twenty first, nineteen eighty nine, he beat Carl the Truth Williams in ninety three seconds. And, and it might have been later than that too. There might have been one later than that too. Very very short. Well, after he didn't have the well, yeah. after he didn't have the belt anymore. The, after he didn't have the belt anymore. He oh yeah, there is uh, oh Peter McNeely eighty nine seconds. That'll be it. That was one of the yeah. on his comeback. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, I, if I remember that, I think everybody knew. There McNeely was no point. didn't have it. No, didn't have no a point. chance. It was no. a, he's another easy paycheck for. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Calgary tomorrow, Vancouver on Wednesday. Final two home games for the Oilers at Rexall Place. We talked about yeah. some memories and some and some other stuff. Uh, I mean, so much happened in 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 that building. When I say Rexall Place, Northlands Coliseum, is there something that pops into the front of your mind right away? Well, the, the funny one is that when they built Coliseum, uh, they arranged that the up elevator on one side only went up and the down elevator on the other side from the second level only went down <laughs> that doesn't wait that doesn't seem possible it was and it did they fixed it but i promise that it, when it was opened if you wanted to get to the second deck you went up on the side and if you wanted to get down from the second deck you could walk the steps but if you want an escalator you came down the other side and uh, they got it fixed, and how they didn't spot it going in, I have nobody knows. Wow. But, but no, the, the other thing is that you can't be an Edmonton guy, a proud Edmonton sports guy, without remembering that that building gave us the National Hockey League. That building and Bill Hunter gave us the National Hockey League. And you can say all you want about Peter Pocklington took Edmonton to the NHL. No, Bill Hunter put Edmonton in the NHL because Bill Hunter is the guy who said, we're going to get a major league facility and we're going to be in place when the National Hockey League expands. And uh, I remember the night that the Detroit Red Wings played the first ever regular season NHL game here and again, I was with the Oilers then, and I was walking around outside, and I have never been in any crowd, not an Olympic crowd, nothing, where the joy was as great as it was that night when Northlands Coliseum and Edmonton got into the National Hockey League. Did and, you and see them becoming that good relatively that quickly? Um, no, I didn't, uh, because... Uh, I think 
that when you see like a lot of the kids who arrived here as young men, um, I mean, Dave Lumley, who was a very important seventh or eighth forward on that team, was a career minor leaguer. The Oilers got him from the Montreal Canadiens. There was no sign he was going to be able to play in the NHL. Glenn Anderson was a space cadet who was a really promising amateur hockey player who'd never shown any dedication to the game. Um, all of those things come around and you think, well, he can't play and he can't play. And Charlie Huddy was a big physical defenseman in, in the Ontario Hockey League. And he was told, if we draft you, we want you to take off weight and get smaller and get quicker. Well, back then, everybody in the NHL was trying to bulk up. Remember the size of some of those guys all around the league. But um, if, if you start to talk about the unsung hero of the Edmonton Oilers in the administration, his name was Barry Fraser. Mm-hmm. He was he was an amazing scout. He and I went looking at a hockey player one night. We drove downtown Toronto. We drove to, I want to say Guelph, but it might have been Kitchener. And we went to see a hockey game. And he said, there's a kid I really got to look, look at. I said, who is it? And he said, you'll know. We show up. I promise we spent four minutes in the game. He said, that's it. He's, no, he's going nowhere. And we hopped into Barry's car, went back to Toronto. And I said, are you going to tell me who this is? He said, no. He said, because it's never going to matter. You're never going to hear his name again. <laughs> Four minutes, eh? That's all it took. He saw him on the ice two or three times. Uh, what, now, did he see him av- avoid a check? Did he see right. him do something? I don't know, because I don't know who he was looking at. <laughs> John, thank you so much for making time for Inside Sports. It was, it was incredible to have you on the show. We're getting a lot of uh, texts for people saying hi and uh, recalling some of your great radio shows. It was great to have you in. It's a great pleasure to work with you and... Uh, one way or another, I go back a long way with this radio station and with radio in Edmonton. Uh, we've always been so lucky, Reed, to have good television people, good radio people, and it's a pleasure to say that I just spent an hour with one of them. Thank you so much. That is John Short. We're back after the news.